Hey, nonprofit founders and leaders, change makers and dreamers. Are you searching for new ways to be heard amidst the overwhelming noise and confusion of these uncertain times? Giving Heartbeat is the place to make connections and ignite sparks of compassion into forces for good and together turn unsung heroes into everyday superheroes. Conversations with dynamic nonprofit champions from across the planet reveal how they turned passion into action and obstacles into achievements. I'm your host, Donna Valente. Welcome. Over the past three decades, I've met hundreds of incredible nonprofit changemakers from around the world. It's my passion and mission to promote them. This is Giving Heartbeat. Welcome. Okay, I'd like to welcome to the Giving Heartbeat studio today, Andy Arias, who is an actor, a model, an activist, and who also works for the government. And we'll hear just a tiny little bit about that. But I would like to welcome you, Andy. And and um, if you could tell our listeners a little bit about your journey in speaking out and being a public face and going beyond what you do on the day-to-day to help make things better for for the world. Wow, that's such a great introduction. Thank you so much. I, you know, I never sought out to be a voice or a person with a voice. It was sort of something that I felt was was something I needed to do because of the way I grew up, right? Um, I grew up in systemic poverty. I grew up in the foster care system. And I didn't see anybody like me in my community as a disabled LGBTQ uh, Latin person. I still don't see that person in this world other than me. Um, That's so authentically themselves, you know, and I I really felt like my community, the one that I belong to and many people belong to, was marginalized and sort of ignored and put aside. So I really want the work I do now in every regard, whether it's my day-to-day or whether it's my Wednesdays with Andy, which is an inspiring Facebook Live show, or my comedy, Friday Night Funnies on Instagram uh, Live, to really flip the narrative on disability and make people feel something, right? They can feel anything as long as they feel something uh, because of my genuineness. Awesome. So do you want to take us through a little bit of of um, what, what brought you to um, Washington, a little bit about your career path, and then back yeah, to- I I started um, in the advocacy realm for people with disabilities, really, because I saw Judy Human um, on a documentary called Lives Worth Living, and so I was, I had just finished a film with Tom Hanks, and I was broke, right? Because like it was a small, small part that was supposed to be much bigger, but it, it was small. And so I ran out of money and I was watching this documentary. I'm, I'm a very big fan of manifestation and the universe giving us signs. So I was watching this documentary on PBS called Lives Worth Living. And I saw this woman, Judy Hillman, and I had no idea who she was. And I was like, who is that woman and I need to be doing something like that and she started the independent living center movement and three weeks after I said that to myself I got a job interview to work at one of the independent living centers in Orange County and be their disability rights advocate and so I was like okay, this is cool, you know, and I didn't even know when I went into the interview because it wasn't called the Independent Living Center of Orange County. It was something innocuous like Dell McIntosh Center. I had no idea. And once I got into the interview and they were like, you're amazing. There's something about you um, because, you know, I was working with 
disabled youth and I was working with LGBTQ disability already as a volunteer. And so they really wanted to take that to the next level in Orange County. And so I was working with legislators and um, assemblymen and senators. And my first month there was crazy because they were like, we want you to go to Sacramento and talk to uh, our representatives and tell them about disability and what we need in our community. And I was like, say what? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm not ready for that. And, you know, nothing against Orange County, but you may know this, but it's a super conservative county, you know, mm -hmm. in California. And uh, I always like to tell people I have gay face. So I was like really nervous about going there and like talking to these folks and be like, they're not going to listen to me. Um, they're not going to want to hear what I have to say because of how I present myself. Um, and my boss is like, don't worry about it. Go, go for it. Try it out. See what, so I, I had six different visits that one day and, um, and they all responded to me. They all responded to my authenticness and what I wanted to bring to the community. So flash forward four years later, I ended up um, going to DC several times and doing the same thing. I met Judy Human just in passing. And through like fast forwarding, I ended up getting an offer to work on policy for people with disabilities on social security. And somebody in DC saw me um, making this presentation and they asked me uh, if I ever thought of working on policy in DC. My first response was like, no way, uh, because it's, it's cold. I'm a California boy, you know, I like my, you know, thing. And I ended up working in DC for four years. I'm still working at that job, working on federal policy for people with disabilities, because I really think that we need in any moment, in any political moment, we need people with disabilities having um, sort of holding highest positions that they can to influence those that make the policy and make, um, make our rules and laws for people with disabilities. Very interesting. So was that, um, gosh, how was I going to phrase this? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't have a whole battery of questions because I just thought it would evolve organically. Yeah. Um, I'm just fascinated by the way that you took this on and it grew into this career for you. And now, and it's not just your job that you go and you're there for the day and then you, you know, just do your own thing, but you're putting yourself out there constantly. And I watch uh, Wednesdays um, with Andy and Friday funnies and it, you are so smart and Thank so you. you are. I mean, you are just like very, like you're brilliant and you don't say that about yourself, but you are and you speak so well and you talk to all the different points and you're not afraid to tell people, you know, don't, don't presume to tell me what I feel or what I go through. So mm -hmm. can you talk to our audience a little bit about able splaining and, Oh, yes, I love that term. So um, one of the other cool things I got to do while in D.C., I um, am an adjunct faculty at Georgetown University, and I teach on many different topics, but really on intersectionality and disability, LGBTQ, and Latin um, perspectives. So that's, and no offense to your viewers, but it's mostly to a white audience, right? Mm -hmm. And so when I go on, when I go to a conference or I'm on stage, it's sort of a, a mind-blowing moment for these individuals because I go all over the country and educate on these topics. So one of the terms that I love to use to these individuals that work for people with disabilities and I would say like maybe 5% actually have a disability, those that are in the field, but I tell them able-splaining, right? Because we all know what mansplaining is. And so I say to people who, because um, you hear this a lot in the field, right? People without disabilities are telling people with disabilities, 
what's up with their lives, the choices that they have, the choices that they don't have, what their capabilities are. And I've heard that my entire life. Like, you're not able, you're not going to be able to drive, you're not going to be able to go to college, live on your own, have meaningful relationships, like intimate ones. Um, And I've had all those things um, because people told me no was sort of my catalyst for it because I was like, if you're going to tell me no, that's the first thing I'm going to do because, you know, it's kind of like a petulant child in a way, but I've made it more sophisticated, like going against the grain. Um, So I feel like able-splaining is really for the temporarily abled out there that feel like they need to tell people with disabilities what to do. And they, they're not doing anything wrong in their eyes. They feel like they're doing the right thing because they're being altruistic or they want to feel good about themselves. And so they're like, I'm going to work in the disability field and I'm going to make a difference. But what what I like to tell people is like, you're not helping me you're helping yourself too. think about that because people are temporarily abled, right? And they don't get that yet because it's not in our culture yet to think of disability as a life cycle instead of like, this is a tragedy that happened to you. And I feel so bad for you. I feel like there's an invisible line of, of ableness, right? That able body or able people put on us that say like we're a little bit better because we can do but we can do things better than you can and and it's not a conscious thing i think it's a unconscious bias that that we live pervasively in our society and disabled people sort of fall into that either by accident or by you know because that's the way things have always been but I like to break that barrier and tell people, wake up, right? You're telling other people what to do. And the way I put it into focus is if you were doing that based on my color or my sex or my heritage, that would be so wrong, right? If you were telling me as a gay person, I can only do certain things a certain way or as a Hispanic person, that would be discrimination. That would be like very bad, but we're okay doing it to people with disabilities. Why? Mm -hmm. Right? Like I'll take your advice, people, doctors, professionals, but do not presume to tell me what's right for me because you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You're not in my body. So yeah, that's, a long way of explaining able-splitting. <laughs> no, that's very interesting. And, and one thing that I know that you talk a lot about and that I find really interesting is the intersectionality of different social justice movements. Mm-hmm. And I know just from, you know, reading and observing that a lot of times it's one thing or it's another thing or it's this thing. And if you happen to be all three of those things or all two of those things. Watch and- out, right? <laughs> I mean, it's just there's not there's doesn't seem to be a place. And even in those movements, you might get uh, dissed or whatever by not following completely with one. If it's disabilities, just disabilities. But with people with disabilities, it could be it's the whole spectrum. I mean, it's like every facet of society. So people need to understand that. And uh that's that's why I was so interested in talking to you. And I know if do you want to talk about that time you were saying that you were trying to get a Lyft or an Uber ride oh. and the driver was just so horrible? Yeah, so here's the thing. Um businesses in general, you know, especially subcontracted or contractors I'm a lot to take in. I mean, your your viewers can't see, but I'm somebody with a disability, and you know, I like I said, I have gay face. I have, you know, I I have a certain aesthetic, and then I have a wheelchair on top of that, right? And so it's a lot for people to absorb. But when I and this happens pervasively in New York and big cities where I constantly have to take an Uber, but this particular instance. 
it happened here near my home because my I was um, I drive a car, but my car was in the shop, and so I was singing a Lyft or an Uber um, to my friend's house, um, and you know I. I get out there and he's like, whoa, what? There's a chair. You know, you could just see his face like, what the hell am I going to do with you? Um, and, you know, he English was not his first language. That was clear, right? So I tried to talk to him in our language, which I speak Spanish. So I was talking to him in Spanish. I'm like, it's okay. I can break this down. Um, I can make it easy. He had a brand new, I think it was a Mercedes. And so he was just very like, like, don't touch that. Don't put the, your chair there. Don't move this. Don't, like, I didn't even feel... Like I wanted to be in the car, but I was already in the vehicle and I just said, just get me to point A, right? Just just get me to point A. I'll figure it out when I get there or point B and I'll figure it out when I get there. But, and, and while this is happening, while I'm in the car and he's like not speaking to me, I'm not speaking to him because it was super awkward. He didn't even want me to touch anything. And when I was getting in the car, he didn't want my feet to touch anything because he didn't, Right. And you're a, like, you're serving the public folk. Right. So it was, it was just a very awkward situation. But one of the things that's so kooky is that when I'm in like a big other city like New York and I'm trying to get a, a ride on the street, I always trick the driver. And if I'm with an able-bodied person, um, then I, have them stand out there for me mm -hmm. and and then they'll stop the car and then I'll pop up out of nowhere and be like surprise it's actually my ride um but the, the, once they're stopped they're kind of like trapped so I'm kind of <laughs> I'm kind of tricky in that way but I think companies that serve the public right they're not Right now, they're not under any regulation under ADA to do anything less more than they're doing. But I think if you're a public business and you're doing rideshare, you need to figure out a middle ground to like not make people feel like crap when they're paying you for a ride, right? And so it was just an interesting, like we're in 2021, we're in the middle of a pandemic and people are still being shitty to other people. And we just, I was like, why, why is this still okay? I didn't get it, but. Yeah, it blows my mind. I felt so bad for you. And I figured, you know, it probably happens every freaking day, right? Like I, I know people with disabilities that that's their main source of transportation. If they live in a big city, you know, and, um, they get a lot of that. They get a lot of like, oh, I hope this ride picks me up, right? If it's not labeled uh, accessible vehicle ride, right? But not everybody with a disability needs a full-on van to pick them up. Nobody wants that. I, I'm lucky enough to be able to transfer and bear weight, mm -hmm. but as soon as somebody sees me in a wheelchair, they assume I'm paralyzed. So... I only pretend to be paralyzed if it's going to get me a role on TV. But other than that, I want to say that I, I have mobility, right? Um, uh -huh. So how is it as, this is kind of off topic, but not really. Um, how is it as, as being an actor and living in LA? And I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not going to answer for you. Go ahead. Like, no, is it? It's, you know, when I lived here four years ago, and I just moved back like two months ago, um, I heard so much that cast, from casting directors, I've, I've been up for big commercials, big TV shows, and I've heard this more than once, we're not ready for you. We're not ready for what you're ready to represent because most of the time you don't see an LGBTQ person with a disability. You definitely don't see an LGBTQ person with a multiple cultural identity and a disability, you know, that's not ethnically ambiguous. So I heard 
from, I won't say the big company, but I was up for a big commercial for a big company and they said, we think you're going to put off people in Oklahoma with your um, diversity. And, you know, casting directors, here's the thing that people don't get. The, the entertainment industry isn't under any ADA um, guidelines for casting or closed sets for people with disabilities. You know, it's, it's a bunch of advocates within the media community that are rising up those issues, but they're not under any regulations because, you know, it's just not. They're, you know, they're just getting to the point where they're casting authentically, uh, authentic stories of people with disability. And, you know, just a couple of years ago, they were having the issue with uh, hashtag the Oscars are so white. So I think that like there's a movement happening and it's been happening, but if you look at the media now, right, who's on television? It's white people with disabilities, white people telling disabled stories. And my friend Ryan, who's on special, it's great, love the show. Um, but even he and I have had these conversations where Ryan, that's your privileged white story showing on television about being somebody with a disability. That's great. My story is like way different. So when I, I've pitched reality shows, I've said, you know, my struggle as a Latin person with a disability working full time, because I don't like to be poor, like, you know, and then, and then going on auditions, speaking engagements after my nine to five, you know, I get about four hours sleep in order to do all that. But I really feel like if I don't do it for my community, for my Latin LGBTQ disabled community, who else is going to do it? I think that even my agent at one time said, like, I don't know where to put you in castings because you're so authentically you even if you're playing a part people can see you right they you know they can see the life you have inside of you which is hard to hide right my authenticness which is and i said are you telling me that i'm too gay for for straight roles it's okay you can say that so now my tactic in la is very different i'm going to those LGBTQ networks. I'm meeting with different directors and producers saying like the LGBTQ community doesn't have me, right? Authentically have me. They have a little bit of disability and LGBTQ, but they don't have me um, who's so out and proud and like real. And so I'm trying a different tactic which um, we'll see. I've only been in the city two, two months now, so uh, cross your fingers. It is COVID, so the industry is, is just trying to figure things out. So it's a different time to be in LA and be me right now. It is, <laughs> I moved during a pandemic, big, you know, cross country, but oh well, you know, it's all good. So, and um, I know you had, we had mentioned offline about perhaps starting a podcast with your friend. Yes. Yeah. So, Sounds cool. Yeah. Angela Rockwood, which you know, she's beautiful woman who created Push Girls. We've been mailing around the idea of a reality show, a podcast, something. Because when we get together, we're so authentically us. And there's a you know, she has best friends that she loves, but me and her have a special bond that goes beyond anything I've ever had. I mean, honestly, because of my acting career and my entertainment career, yes, that's one of the reasons I moved here, but she's my family. And so, uh, she, you know, I wanted to be closer to her. And, and during a pandemic, of course, obviously that was like the catalyst, like, shit, I don't know what's going to happen to the planet in the next five years. I want to be close to people that I love. And so I live 10 minutes away from her. And so we were talking about 
how can we finally put us out there so people start paying attention to people like us, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's, we're planning on it and we're going to be tapping you as a resource. Um, oh. So get ready. Yeah. I'd be honored. I, I'm, I think the world is ready for you. And Angela, I think it would be a phenomenal show. You guys are awesome. I think people are going to love us and learn a lot, I think. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, I mean, I know I was born with white privilege. I acknowledge that now. I it it makes me feel really shitty. Um, I mean, I'm I'm you know it is what it is, but I I don't know. I just there needs to be more voices. It can't all come from one viewpoint. I mean, we need to listen to people. We have to. There are brothers and sisters, our family, and it makes me so mad. Can I tell you something that might lift your spirits? I think, and I've said this to you before. I don't think privilege is a bad thing, right? I think that I have privilege um, and I've had to work for my privilege, right? I didn't inherently own it, but now I have a full-time job. I work, people listen to my voice and I have privilege because of all that. Um, what I think about privilege is this, it's not a bad thing. It's the way that you wield it that can be a good or bad thing. When I speak on issues of systemic poverty, I always put it in the reference, like, that's where I came from. But if you want to know the issue now, I always bring somebody that's in there right now to talk about that. And to your point, I think what you're doing is phenomenal. I think that if the way people hear my voice is through you, that's you're doing something right you're not saying i'm the subject matter expert you're saying i'm bringing somebody from that experience to you and so please pay attention i mean it's the world we live in now right it's not to say it's the world we live in tomorrow or in five years from now what i want people to know is that don't feel bad that you have privilege use it in the right way so you don't come off looking like a jerk or like the know-it-all, which no offense to the disability community, it happens all the time where you'll have a sprinkle. I, I love this, right? They'll have a panel on diversity and it'll happen one or two ways. Everybody on the panel will be super diverse, but then they have that one white person to lead them. Or, 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 this is the opposite. They'll have a diversity panel and they'll have the token minority on that diversity panel to say, we're doing something. But I love to say this to everyone, is that intersectionality and inclusion is a way of life. It's not a sexy term that we can use or throw around. Um, we have to live it. We have to embrace it. And if we're not doing it on a daily basis, then we're doing something wrong. And it's, it's a sexy term that we love to use in presentations and that we love to get jazzed up about. But I really, I don't like the term inclusion really as an individual because it gives people the perception or the feeling or the right to exclude me, right? Mm -hmm. I always tell people, in my large presentations, mostly with white people, so it scares them a little bit, I say, who gave you the right to include me? Like, who who said, I dub you the queen of inclusion or the king of inclusion, and you're supposed to open the door for all these people? I've always been here. I took up my seat at the table a long time ago and said, hi, I'm here. Now people are hearing me. That, there's a difference, right? I've been at that table. You're, you, not you, but you as in the world are now hearing my voice and saying we need to pay attention. So there's a difference, right, between not being at the table and not being heard. So I think what you're doing is great. Don't feel bad about it. Just keep doing what you're doing and keep bringing those voice, voices together. That's that's what I'm here for, Andy. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I really yeah. do. 
And um, another thing, if you don't mind, I know we didn't talk about this, but I noticed when I I was visiting your website, um, you had some videos about um, caregiver abuse. Mm, yeah. That's a topic nobody wants to talk about, and it's out there and happening all the time. Is I'm sorry, I'm just kind of throwing you a topic. No, 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 this is fine. I told you I'm an open book, so. It's, it's, it, it bothers me so much, and, and people don't want to talk about it, and the only thing, only way people, anything's going to change is if we do talk about it. So is there any, do you have any thoughts on that? About yeah, I am, um, like I said, I grew up in systemic poverty. I moved around quite a bit when I was a kid. I moved around about six different times between the ages of six and 17. And sometimes I was in group homes. Sometimes I was in foster homes. Sometimes I lived with families. And I feel for the majority of my life up until the age of when I moved out, I was the value of my security check. I was the value of that $750. That's why people took care of me, right? Um, and when you're in the foster care system, of course you get additional funds and you get additional tax cuts along with that check. And so for the first three I'd say three days of the month, I was like the best, most great person. And I knew from the age of like seven or eight, like I, people like me because I bring them this extra funds, this extra money. And so I always had like a very bad relationship with finances because I, my value was so inherently tied to it from the age of, seven to the age of like only a couple of years ago, I started having a healthier relationship with money because of the, the emotional psychological sort of abuse that came from it. Either people kept me around so they could pay their bills or um, they just felt like I was a vehicle for them to get ahead or, you know, they didn't, I, I really, only for a handful of families did I feel like they really cared about me. And I could say maybe two out of the six families that I was with, which aren't great odds, really cared about Andy, right? And I, I grew up knowing that. I grew up knowing that people didn't really love me. I didn't really fit anywhere. Um, and then also... I was dealing with coming out and multiple identities at the time. So I really didn't know who I was and where I fit. So all of that compounded to um, not really feeling right. And, and, you know, this doesn't have to go, this, this goes beyond physical and sexual abuse, which I've also encountered, but the abuse that is really sort of psychological and sort of stays with you longer is the fact that like you're not worth anything other than what you can give me financially really stuck with me like I didn't I didn't realize that I could have friends and I could have loved ones and they didn't have to have a dollar sign to it um for a very long time after I moved out I thought that like if I was financially stable and was able to give my friends things financially, you know, um, then, then I'm good. Then we have a good friendship. That is love. Um, now I've grown way beyond that, but really I think the disabled community is so tied to benefits and the, the, um, social safety net that we need to have, right? But it's also a stepping stone and people shouldn't tie their value to whether or not they have that safety net. And I think we all do because that's how society views us, right? You're either on benefits or you're off benefits. And if you're, if you try to get off benefits and work, all your other services become jeopardized. 
you know, they, they don't have a system yet where you can be working and obtain your PAs, right? You, you have then, then those all come out of pocket, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, I needed about 1500 hours of PAs just to move into my apartment. And yeah, I have friends that helped me move. I love my friends, right? They did it for free. But when you're somebody with a disability, you need that extra, those extra pair of hands to do that. And I, I, that came out of my pocket. There were no funds. There were no, ex, this is Andy, you know, moving to any apartment, pays $1,500 to get it together. And I think that people don't understand the extra cost of living with a disability. They think, oh, we'll just give you this certain amount and abuse and systemic poverty comes from that amount. But if you try to get off those benefits, you're penalized, you're, you're, you're judged. And I've been called so many things like uppity or um, I'm, I don't really stand for the disabled community because I've been off benefits for so long and um, I have a job so I don't understand that that system anymore and I've been told this by people with disabilities like you're not one of us anymore because you're not in the system and I'm like that's that's not fair right I tried to move beyond it, but don't judge me for wanting a better life for myself. I think everyone should have a better life or the life that they choose to have and not dictated to them. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I can't imagine. I mean, um, if you're, if you are living with a disability and it seems like you're stuck unless you've got the gumption and the drive, you know, you I, I don't know. I mean, the the journey that you went on is it, it's something that I think people would aspire to. And I'm not like I don't mean to say like, oh, look at Andy, isn't he hero? He's in a wheelchair and he works, yay, or he drives. Right. Well, I mean, it's, it it makes me so sad that yeah, you have to live on this tightrope. And you know, what do you do if you don't have a safety net, or you don't, you know, do you? I don't, I don't know. I'd... I feel like one of the biggest blessings that I've had is I always knew from a young start, even though I was living with all these families and they were all telling me what to do. I've had my spirituality as a big piece of all of it. And God told me from a very early age, listen, you, your life's going to be very hard, but as long as you stick with me and your God could be anything, right? I'm talking about the universe. Um, th th this entity said to me, as long as you stick with me, we'll be okay. You and I will be okay. So all of this other stuff needs to go to the side and use it when you need it and lean on me most of the time or all of the time and I'll get you through. And I think honestly, we all as individuals need to look outside ourselves and call whatever you want to call your hire, whatever. Right. Um, and, and go with that because we're all worth more than society tells us we are. Right. And we all have those insecurities. I'm not good enough for that. I, I deal with it all the time when I see a casting thing and I'm like, oh, I'm not, you know, I don't know if I can do that or I don't know if they'll like me. I still have those insecurities a lot. And I think people walk around uh, as these vulnerable people and won't go for what they want because of those insecurities. Um, and I think I, I don't look at myself as a, superhero or a hero or even an inspiration what I think I am is there's many of me out there right and I I want to shine a light on all the unicorns I call myself a unicorn um, but I want to shine a light to all the unicorns out there and give them their moment and give them their light and say like it's okay I had trouble seeing myself too why don't we why don't I help you get there? Or why don't I um, 
figure out a way for us to get there together. And I think that one of the biggest blessings was that I didn't have, I love families. I do. Families are great, but sometimes mommies and daddies and aunts and uncles, they, they get in the way of somebody because they want to protect them. They want to make them feel safe. And I feel like that voice, you know, my higher power told me at like seven or eight, you and I are going to go on this crazy ass journey and we'll we'll have fun. It's going to be very hard, um, but we're going to have fun doing it and just stick with me and I'll, I'll get you through. So, yeah. Wow. So at age seven, like how did that come to you? Did you get like, Oh, a beam of light or was it a dream or was it a feeling? It started with dreams and then it, it was a feeling, right? I, um, I always knew that I was different. I always knew that my life was going to be an uphill battle. But there was, you know, when I was safest in my quiet moments at night when I was by myself, this this feeling would come to me that it's all going to be okay. And um, I was so connected to the, the my higher source that I, I lived my life in that space where, everything's okay. Everything's always okay. My goal is to make it better than okay. My goal is to make it great. My goal is to make it magical, sparkly, and wonderful um, for not just myself, but for everybody, right? Um, In DC, they used to call me sparkles because no matter what I did, they're like, you always sparkle. There's always something in you that sparkles. And DC is a very different environment than than California. Um, People are very, you know, buttoned up and, you know, very business-like. And I would go to to work in snakeskin boots and my little dress shirts and dress pants and be like, I'm not going to wear gray. I'm not going to wear all blue or gray. You know, I'm going to wear suits with a little color and texture, you know, and, and be me. Like I, I am me, whether I'm on stage doing comedy with my best friend, you know, or in DC or on TV like that. This is who I am. Um, and I want to make it okay for everybody to be who they are, because I think, the more authentic this world can be, the better this planet, the better this world can be. I don't think people are inherently bad. I don't think anybody thinks they're inherently bad or doing bad things. I think that they just don't know any better, right? And I think that they feel trapped because they feel like they need to be a certain way. And that certain way sometimes takes them down horrible paths. And I, I just choose to love as many people and as many things as possible and even people that I don't agree with. I love people that I can sort of influence with love and understanding and really bring them to see me. And I've done that in DC. I did it in Orange County. I continually do that because I'm friends with lots of different types of people that are very strict in their thinking, but they love me. They're like, well, I, you know, I never thought about that before, Andy. That's so cool. Like I, I met my, one of my best friends in, in Virginia, her grandpa is super conservative, like, you know, very religious, super conservative. We went out to dinner once and the first after dinner, he turns to his granddaughter and says, I really like him. And she was like, I know you would. So that it's a gift and a blessing, but I think it comes from upstairs that people are able to see my authenticness and my heart Mm -hmm. and look beyond their uh, stereotypes and perceptions when they see me. Cause there are a lot, right? People, people judge my face and my aesthetic, but or this is just, this is a shell. This is, you know, this is how I present myself. But my heart and my spirit are just like yours, are just like most of the people on the planet. We just have to 
allow people that window to see it, right? Yes, that's awesome. And is there, do you practice meditation? I mean, what keeps that so strong and, and has sustained that throughout these years? I love, so some spiritual practices say that water is a conduit to, yeah, they say that you can get to the spirit realm through water. So I always, wherever I live, one of the biggest things is like, give me a big bathtub, right? So I do a lot of meditation in the bathtub where I just pray and manifest and meditate and I'm around people I might not agree with, but I'm around people that are on a certain frequency, right? Of like the belief that the world can be better, stronger, um, more beautiful, more lively. Um, and so I try to stay within that frequency of my close friends so that we can elevate the consciousness of ourselves and others in the way we think and love and experience life. Um, and Angela is obviously one of those people that I constantly, if, if I'm dealing with something, she'll tell me straight out what's up and I'll do the same for her, but in a loving way so that we're there for each other. I think that we need to, bring our spirituality, whatever it is, if you're Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, Catholic, I think God in his infinite ability is all those things. Because if he created the world, hello, we shouldn't put labels like Christianity, Catholic, you know, all these things, because he's probably sitting there going like, I created all of you to love each other and support each other. And you're, you're not, you're dividing in my name, you are dividing yourselves and, and calling out other people and judging other people. But I like to say that I think if, if Jesus was on the planet now, he would be the first one to say, look, I'm the MC of the pride parade for mm -hmm. all the pride parades. Cause I want all my unicorns to have a space where they're loved and accepted. I think that people need to get out of their own way and really tap into the source of them. And I think that will sprout more love and acceptance to others. But yeah, I do meditate and, and pray and think a lot. And I just try to beam as much love as I can to others in order to, to make that a reality in the way I live my life. So are there ever times when you get, when you sink into sadness or does that just i mean i, I of course must yeah. but i mean I give, I give i give me a day if i'm feeling and it happened a lot when i was in living in dc i i had a lot of those days where chocolate and wine were my best friend um but i give myself 24 hours feel sad watch all the lifetime movies you want have your moment and and be okay with where you're at, but know that it's not, you're not stuck there. I think a lot of the time when people get in their mindsets, they feel stuck and trapped, right? And there's no way out. I always know there's a way out, right? Like I always know that there's not a light at the end of the tunnel. There's like a big beam of brilliance that I'm getting in my way and I can't get to it. And I feel everything. I cry all the time. If I see a sad commercial, I'll cry. Like, I think that that's one of the things that is my gift is I feel my feelings. I'm not ashamed of my feelings. Um, my friends will be the first ones to tell you um, that when I'm down there in that place, I don't really talk to them unless I need their help figuring something out. I'll try to deal with it um, and figure it out and then bring it to them later and say like, yeah, I was dealing with that, but I'm better now. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think it's okay for me to bring my Debbie Downerness to other people unless I'm super close to them and unless they'll understand it. 
But most of the time, it's me and God figuring that out and saying, like, God, okay, I feel this way. Help me get out of it. And then I'll bring it to my friends if we need to work on it more. But I I have those days. I, everyone does. Yeah. Feel those days. Embrace for that moment, right? Don't make it a, a lifestyle choice. I'm, I'm this person. Don't let your... Don't let your feelings define you all the time, um, but feel them and own them and be okay with them. Awesome. So what's, what's next after, after the, if you say you get the podcast going with Angela, what are you hoping for? Okay. I have, I have big dreams. Um, Actually. So once stuff is, you know, once COVID is ran its course, I want the podcast. I want a TV show with sort of a Trevor Noah sort of vibe where I'm bringing entertainment and disability together, right? And we're having roundtable discussions about what is. So like an expanded view of, dis- of Wednesdays with Andy, but for live TV, right? And then I want to run for office. I want to be an assemblyman, a senator, a congressman in some capacity. Uh, but all of that needs to fit into the the construct of me having a family. I really want to be a father. Um, I really want to have a child. Uh, right now I'm producing a film about my friend, Danny's twins, who's had who's paralyzed and who had kids during COVID. And I feel that my love now um, needs to go to a little Bing to help bring them into um, themselves and make them feel loved and accepted. And I've already had dreams about my kids. This is how most of my life happens. I dream about things before they happen. I dreamt about Angela about five years before I met her, and now she's my best friend. Um, So I've already seen my little baby, and I'm like, that's sort of where I'm headed, but I never want to give up my career just to be a parent. I want my kid to say, my dad kicked ass. He was an advocate. He was somebody with a disability. He had a TV show. My Aunt Angela was a rock star and a model and beautiful. So I want a lot of things. But most of all, I want to continue being happy and growing. But I want my happiness and my love to affect others. And if I, if I can do that in any small way, my wife, my life was worth it, you know? Yeah, wow, that's awesome. You'd be such an awesome parent. I, I hope so. I think everyone says, God, you would be the best. And I'm like, I know I would be because I would live my life for them, right? My Everything I did would be for that little person to make sure they had everything and they were strong and beautiful and powerful and felt and felt like the world was there to help them get through whatever they needed to get through. Um, I wouldn't spoil them. I say that now, but I don't. But but I would I would give them all the support they ever needed to accomplish whatever they wanted. Yeah. Wow, that's that's a great goal. I love that, and I hope that happens for you. And so, do you have any um, any words of wisdom to to maybe like the the you of five years ago, like like a young kid who wants to do something and make the world a better place in some way. Okay, now you're going to get me off. Because I've thought about this. I, I, I was so hard on myself, right? Because I had that nagging voice in my head, not nagging, but my spiritual voice saying, you, you need to do better. I think us that are in different wavelengths always feel that, that pull to do more, right? Or we're not doing enough. And when I was in my young 20s, I felt like I'm not doing enough, right? I'm, I'm living and working for me. 
but I'm not really putting myself out there for others. I'm not being a voice to the community. And so I would say, love yourself, be comfortable with yourself. It's okay to not be where you want to be right now because everything happens, not your time, but in the universe's time. And five years ago, I didn't know that, or I didn't want to know that. I knew that, but I wasn't following that practice where things happen in the universe's time and I just go along for the ride. Um, so I would, I would say love yourself, know yourself, and be kind to you and, 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 and take your time to, to, to get things. Cause I never thought I'd be working on federal policy. I never thought that somebody as beautiful as Angela would be in my life. And um, so there's certain things that if I rushed through, I wouldn't have the gifts that I have. So yeah, patience. Mm -hmm. Patience. Those are great words of advice. I know like for me, I'm always thinking like, I'm not, I didn't get this done. I should be doing this. I, you know, I need to be doing that. And, and I kind of don't enjoy the day like I should and my family like I should. And um, it's hard. I really struggle with that because I'm always trying to, you know, so much, right. And just to, um, it's okay to be where you are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. I, I think what you're doing is so beautiful. And I think what you're putting out into the universe is beautiful. And um, when Angela and I have our podcast, I want to come back with her and talk about it a little bit, because I think, you know, podcasts between podcasts would be great. And, you know, sharing um, some insights. I think that would be awesome. So, Well, I would love to. Um, And thank you. Those are really kind words. And that's what I I mean, that's the that was the goal for me. Mm. But I mean, doing it and then just, you know, still dealing with the day to day. It's something, you know, it's hard. And I think some people, they don't. Everybody wants to hear that people are okay. They don't really want to know what the struggles are. So but the struggles, it's okay to make mistakes right? And the beauty in my life is all the hardships were filled with light, right? All the struggles were to get here. So I look at my life as that, like everyone, when I talk about my childhood and my systemic poverty and the abuse, I say, no, that's the beauty of who I am. That's all my strength. If I didn't have that, I know I wouldn't be this person, right? I I would probably be either spoiled or really sad or really, like, all those things came together in a perfect storm to make me me. So it's okay. All our struggles, all our challenges, they could be turned into beautiful things as long as we react to them in a certain way and as long as we put them in a certain perspective which is what i do with everything that i go through if it's a challenge what can i learn from it mm-hmm. how can i grow from it if i stay in that challenge and i want to be a victim that's a whole different story that i don't i don't ever go down that road i don't ever talk about being a victim or i talk about being a survivor i talk about being a beam of light through whatever challenge I go through. Yeah. That's so wise, Andy. Mm. Thank you so much for Thank taking the time. Do you have any other, any else, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, no, I think um, just wherever you're at in your life, um, just love, love your life in that moment and love, uh, love others. Right? Even if you don't agree with them, find one thing you love about them and you will be surprised how much your life grows. Yeah. Wow. That is, that's super profound. I love. Well, thank you so much for talking with me today. And so if people want to come onto your, uh, yeah, F- Friday Funnies and. So on, on Instagram, I'm Andy's, A N D Y. 
S Wheels with a Z. Um, mm-hmm. And then on, on Facebook, it's Andy, actor, advocate, Andy Arias. They can find me or they could just Google me because um, I'm easily Googleable. And my website is theandyarias.com. So I'm really easy to find book for um, speaking engagements or comedy stuff or acting stuff. I'm, I'm here. So find me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Andy. I'm going to wave goodbye now, and uh, we'll get this out on airwaves soon. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Well, that's a wrap for this episode of Giving Heartbeat, where we make unsung heroes into everyday superheroes. Please be my hero and subscribe, download, rate, and review, and tell all your friends. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Naomi Charney for my beautiful cover art. Thanks to Chris Hogan for his theme music, Pure Magic, and to audio engineer extraordinaire Don Sternacker at Mixolydian Studios. Please take action today to support nonprofits that connect with your passion. Be the change you want to see in the world. Until next time, the beat goes on. This is Donna Valente. Peace out. <laughs>